today, uh, once again, we are in our series called Answers in My Identity. We've taken a break from the Gospel of John. We will be finishing that up. Uh, we'll have one more sermon in this series next week, and then we'll jump back in to the book of John and finish that up before the Advent season. Uh, so if you're missing John, Stay tuned. It's coming back. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but I, I've gotten a lot of good response from this series and some of the topics and some of the things that we've been hitting about the answers that are found in our identity when our identity is in Christ Jesus. Something dawned on me this week as I was prepping for this sermon is that the older I get, the more deeply I feel about one simple truth. And that's Jesus is the answer. Okay, you can say amen to that. Jesus is the answer, right? Not just in church. It reminds me of the story, and I think I've told this story years ago. It reminds me of the story that I heard about um, some little kid in a Sunday school class, right? And this kid grew up in church, and if you grew up in church, you know that the answer is Jesus. And so this kid is in his Sunday school class, and his Sunday school teacher looks at the classroom and says, what small and brown eats acorns and has a fluffy tail? The little kid raises his hand, and he goes, boy, that sure sounds like a squirrel, but we're in church, so I know the answer is Jesus. We're in church, so we know the answer is Jesus. But I'm convinced, like truly convinced, in actual reality, it doesn't matter the question. It doesn't matter the situation, big or small, Jesus and his glorious gospel is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Two weeks ago, week one of this series, we looked at uh, the performance trap that oftentimes there is this tug within us that to um, be right, to, uh, to be deemed righteous, okay before a holy and righteous God that we get all caught up in this performance trap, that it's based on my performance, that it's based on how well I do today, how well I do in keeping the law, keeping the commands, whatever it is, that it's all based in me. But how many of you know we fail all the time? Right? If we're dependent on us, we're going to fall, we're going to fail, and we will find ourselves in despair. On the flip side of that, when it's dependent on us, when we do really well, we pat ourselves on the back pretty quickly going, look how awesome I am today. But the scriptures say that our righteousness, on our best day, our righteousness is still what? Filthy rags. That it's not in us. It's not based on our performance. It's based on his performance. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, that we shouldn't fall for the trap of performance, but we should find ourselves in Christ alone. Last week, we talked about seeking the approval of others and how that there's this desire in us to be approved by God, right? That God answers the performance trap with, um, with the gospel. He answers the performance trap with the gospel. Last week, we looked at the approval trap and how that is answered in reconciliation, right? That, that the performance trap, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, so he meets it with justification. The approval aspect, that relational aspect, he meets in the gospel with reconciliation. 
That it's not just this legal declaration of being right before God, but the relationship that was severed because of sin has been made right. The relationship is made right. We've been reconciled to God. And so this week, if you're in the mode of performance, or in the mode of approval, right, when we fail, when we don't meet expectations, we seek to exonerate ourselves, and often we end up blaming other people. Today we're going to look at the all-too-familiar blame game, the trap of blame, and how God answers it once again, that Jesus is the answer, that the gospel is the answer. And when we live according to him, when we live according to our identity found in him, there is beautiful and actual, beautiful and real freedom in Christ. And so let's read our text today. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read just about six, six verses or so. Starting in verse 21, it says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Praise God. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. We are justified by his grace as a gift to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by, not performance, but faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray and then let's dig into this today. Father, thank you again for your word. I thank you for your work. I thank you that you are the answer. God, for those in this place today that maybe have gotten caught up in some of these different games, whether it be the performance trap or the approval trap or even the blame game. God, today I pray that we would see the fullness of Christ. God, as we've been saying through the book of John, that we would behold you, that we would see you and hold you as precious, the most valuable, the surpassing worth, and that we would give up everything for you and know that in you we have life, in you, we are right. In you, we have freedom from sin. And we have the full assurance of salvation and joy in you because of you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed that it seems like in society today, more and more, uh, people are trying to shirk off responsibility? Like, no one wants to be responsible. No one... It, it seems like more and more like people like don't want the responsibility that comes with certain roles or we don't want the responsibility like we don't want to be blamed for our shortcomings our shortfall like our sin whatever it is we look for someone else to push off that responsibility too even think about uh the the big the housing uh bust whatever it was, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there, right? And people taking out loans on these homes, right? And we, all of these bad loans that were out there, and we're labeling uh, mortgage companies as these predatory lenders, right? Taking out loans, like defaulting on loans, 
you're like, and granted, like, there's a lot of flaws to some of our systems, for sure. But no one wants to take responsibility for the things that we do. We have sinful tendencies. We have sinful actions. Oftentimes, we're looking for someone to blame for our own shortcomings and sins. And like a lot of us, we have a riddled past. Some of us, it's easy to point to our parents and go, you know what, I am who I am. I struggle with what I struggle with because of my background, because of my upbringing, because of tragedy that I've suffered, because of abuses that I've suffered. Like, of course, like, and all of that stuff informs. All of that stuff plays into a part of who we are. It totally does. I don't want to sound insensitive at all because we are the sum of our choices. We are the sum of our upbringing and a lot of that nurturing and a lot of that stuff that we've experienced. It informs it and, and it, it becomes a part of who we are. But here's the thing. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is greater. Jesus overcomes. Jesus overcomes past. And you know what? The sins that we commit, we can't blame on our parents. The things that we fall, we might have tendencies more than the next person towards a certain thing because of our past, but we are still responsible with our actions that we commit. The key is not to justify our wrong and sinful or destructive actions with our past, but let that inform us. See how it plays to or feeds our sinful nature in our already broken state. Not fall for the blame game and shirk off responsibility, but to take all of that and submit it and surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus. All of it. Unfortunately, I, I, I come across people all the time that we are just plagued by our past. We can't shake it off because we're feeling the pains of it daily now. And, and maybe there's some of you in this room today that that's you. Like you, you're feeling the pains of your past every day. Jesus Christ brings freedom. Jesus, Jesus Christ overcomes sin and empowers you to overcome sin. He does. It's so funny because it's not that he just holds out these rules and he says, this is right and this is wrong. This is good in obedience. This is sin. Good luck. <laughs> no. We have a God who loves us that by his Holy Spirit comes down and dwells within us to empower us to live for righteousness and not for our sin, to live for the Spirit and not for our flesh. Unfortunately, though, we fall for the blame game. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 3. We've read a little bit of this story already, looking at our identity as imagers of God. But here we go in chapter 3. It says this in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Okay, so sin enters the world. Eve is deceived. Adam goes along with it. Here they realize.
serpent deceive me? So you got a little bit of a he said, she said kind of thing. You have this, you gave me the woman. She's the one who deceived me. The one that you gave me. It's like he's blaming God first. Like, that's a pretty bold move. And then he goes to the woman. And the woman blames the serpent. The blame game is a deep part of us. From our ancient parents all the way to us now, it's in our nature to shirk off the responsibility of sin. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. It's not my fault. I was tricked. Satan deceived me. But how many of you know that there is not a temptation that you suffer, that you bear? There's not a temptation that, that God does not give us the out. It says so in his word. That he empowers us to, to make the right choice, to follow, to be obedient, to listen to the word of God. He gives us the right, not, not just the opportunity, but he gives, he gives us the out and he gives us the power. Unfortunately, many of us, we find ourselves with a do double standard when it comes to sin. Oftentimes, we are light with our own sin and we are really tough on other sins. Right? On other people's sin. We're really gracious and soft with our own struggles, with our own sin. But when we can see it in somebody else, we're really tough on that sin. It's a huge hang-up in relationships. Huge, huge hang-up in relationships. I think part of it is because is we believe in the law of retribution. That people get what they deserve. They should get what they deserve. That they should... Uh, that you should pay, and you should pay dearly for your wrongs, right? You look around society, we are a very litigious society. We are so happy. We're, if, there's wrong, like, if there's wrong being done, we want to get paid for it. We want them to pay for it. We want to benefit from it. We're really hard with other people's faults. We're really hard with other people's sins, but we're really soft with our own oftentimes. Robert McGee in his book, Search for Significance, says this, for every, thought, for every flaw we see around us, we usually search for someone to blame, hoping to exonerate ourselves by making sure that the one who failed is properly identified and punished. We know we're supposed to extend grace, but our grace tends to run out when it comes to others. Our patience runs out when it comes to others. It reminds me of Peter's question to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. He says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. It's pretty big. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master what had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers till he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Again, so oftentimes we have this double standard with sin. We have this double standard with sin. We're soft on our own sin. We're soft on our own shortfalls, but we're tough on others. A lot of times we just need to take a good look into the mirror of Scripture and allow the Scriptures to reflect back to us all of our shortcomings, all of our falls, and the magnificent nature of Jesus. That we can take all of that and deal with it well to deal with it well, to deal with it, to lay it at his feet and allow the person and the work of Jesus to wash it away. To not treat it lightly, to not, to not overlook it, but to appropriately give it to Christ, to turn, to repent, to confess it, and allow the work of Christ to be manifest in our lives. I have the joy of being involved in a lot of people's lives. I get to sit with people all the time, and, and a lot of time people will seek me for counsel. Sometimes I get to uh, be with husbands and wives, maybe that they're going through things. Sometimes it's pre-marriage counseling, whatever, and I get the joy to be in a lot of people's lives. There's still something that I, I, I come across so often, whether it's between a husband and a wife or whatever it is. People know, like, we know that sin is wrong. To interact with someone in a sinful way, like, we know, like, if, it, if it's initiated by us, there's no way that I could get away with what I'm doing right now. Like, I should not be acting the way that I'm acting. But when someone else hurts us, when someone else uh, sins against us, when someone else acts uh, inappropriately, when someone else... Uh, is sinful towards us, all of a sudden, somehow in our brain, we justify our response. Somehow in our brain, we go, she does this to me, so that's why I do this to her. And we somehow, we justify our sinful responses based on the other person. And they could be wrong. They could be full of sin. But how in the world do I justify, do I pass the blame for my own sin on their sin? The only appropriate response to someone, especially a spouse, especially someone who has been given to you, knitted together for the sake of the glory of Christ Jesus, to be a beautiful agent of sanctification in your life, the only appropriate response is the gospel. There's so many, like, there's so many relational, relationship issues that come just based out of that thing right there. This person does this to me, so I did this to them. Jesus never did that to us. 
We betrayed him. We turn our back on him all the time. He still responds out of his grace. He still responds out of his love. And you know what it did to me one day? It turned my heart. It turned my heart towards him. All of a sudden, now I'm doing less of those nasty, evil things that I used to do. I still do some. Just full confession. I still do some. But I do less of them because I saw his great love for me. That he responded out of his nature and not out of my actions. What a beautiful thing it is to be loved by Jesus. What a beautiful thing it is to love others like Jesus. A couple of realities that I want to point out to you guys uh, today in this uh, sermon. The, The first one is this. God is just and you are not good. <laughs> Super encouraging, right? God is just, and we're not good. See, there are verses upon verses that point to God being just and right in his judgments. Our text today, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, the very last verse that we read, it said, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I think we understand that that God is just. I hope we understand that. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, it says, "The, The rock, I love that it's capitalized, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God is just in everything that he does, in every response, In every action, he is just in what he does. Have you guys ever overreacted about something? You ever overreacted about something maybe this morning? And please, do not elbow your spouse right now. Okay? That's you, honey. Ever fly off the handle about something? Ever slam some doors or maybe need to do some drywall repair? Okay? Hope not. God never, ever, ever, never overreacts. He is just in all his ways. All of his his responses are appropriate. Now that kind of rubs against us sometimes, doesn't it? Because God did some pretty crazy stuff, especially in the Old Testament. But his justice is is always perfect. His mercy is always perfect, which means his grace is perfect, which means his anger is perfect, which means his wrath is perfectly appropriate. When I look at Genesis 6, I look at the flood. This was not an overreaction. It was an appropriate response to sin by a perfectly just and holy God. It makes me uncomfortable, though. When I look at Genesis chapter 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah, this isn't God flying off the handle, slamming some doors. This is a perfect response to the evil of sin by a perfectly just and holy God. See, the problem is, is we oftentimes think far too lightly about sin. Oftentimes, I think we don't see how big of a deal sin is. Death is a pretty big deal, right? 
Death is a pretty big deal. The wages of sin is death. Death was ushered in through sin. Rebellion against God and his plan is a big deal. Obeying the word of God is a big deal. You were created in the image of God to image God. And when we succumb to sin, we commit treason against our identity as those who have been born of God and know God. You see, God's wrath towards sin and sinning and sinners is just. But I think oftentimes we have a really light view of sin. There's also this false belief that is pervasive in our culture today that people are generally good. People are good. We're good-hearted people. We're not that bad, and we're definitely not as bad as Jim in accounting or whoever that guy is. Pick that guy in your life. Sorry if your name is Jim and you work in accounting. Right? All we, need a li- all we need is a little frosting of Jesus over our morality of our lives. Right? I, I describe it all the time as oftentimes we just, we treat Christ and, and church as this sprinkle on Jesus. That I have my life, I have my direction, I have the trajectory of my life. Now Jesus, just come bless it. Let's just sprinkle a little Jesus on our morality and just gloss it all over so it looks all cute. Romans 3, just a few verses before our text today. Verse 10, it says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This is quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no one, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Excuse me. And we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. That is the state of humanity. That is the state of my flesh. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all unable to merit salvation in ourselves. Our flesh only gives birth to flesh, which is unto death. So in ourselves, left to our flesh, there is no good. And God's wrath towards us is completely right and justified. But praise be to God there's another reality to highlight. So the first one was this. God is just, and we are not good. The second one is this. God is merciful, and we are loved. That's the second reality that I want to highlight, that God is merciful, and we are loved. Right, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes... Whoever puts their faith in Christ Jesus, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Week one, we looked at the performance trap, right? We work and we work and we work to justify ourselves, to make ourselves righteous, to make ourselves worthy by doing something about this plague of sin, right? We try to do something about it, but there's nothing we can do to undo the curse of sin. But because God is merciful and because God loves us, he sent Christ to pay the price of sin, which is death, to justify us, to declare us not guilty, And then he puts us in a right standing with him. He puts on us his own righteousness. So when we're in Christ Jesus, what's the response to sin? Right? If we're not good, what's our response to sin? Right? But when we see his mercy, when we see his grace, when we've beheld Christ and we've believed on him, right? Huge. It's huge. Because in that... Sin was condemned in the flesh. Christ condemned sin. We've been declared right before God. We've been put back in a good relationship, in a right relationship with him, as we talked about last week. But does anyone still go on sinning a little bit? Anyone still struggle with sin sometimes? But praise be to God, the response is different. Praise be to God for the Spirit's work within the church. That when we do sin, there's conviction of sin. There is remorse of sin. That there is is confession that happens and there is repentance that follows. That we turn our back on our flesh and on our sinful ways and we continue to walk beautifully and boldly towards Christ. Praise be to God. I was thinking about that song that we sing all the time, Nate. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Right? Our sins, though they're many, his mercy is more. And because of his spirit alive in his church, when I'm confronted with my sin, I don't sit in it. I don't revel in it. I don't dwell in it. But I understand that 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 is not my identity any longer, but that I've been called out of darkness and into his light. And so I walk boldly and beautifully towards Christ, turning from my sin, confessing it boldly. came across 1 John chapter 2 this week. There's a beautiful verse right here that has taken on new life for me. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says, My little children, right? Same writer as our gospel writer that we've been studying over these last couple of months. Actually, actually last year. Verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing this stuff to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, anyone still sin? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, I love it. I love it. You didn't just call him Jesus Christ. You call him Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the one who's our advocate. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay? If anyone does sin, this is amazing. This is amazing. We have an advocate. Someone who is for you. God is for you. His conviction in your life is a beautiful blessing that you wouldn't go on in your sin, that you wouldn't continue on. Like if you've ever been convicted of your shortcomings and your sin, what a glorious thing it is. You're probably in Christ Jesus. We have an advocate, someone who's for you. 
And it has all sorts of also legal implications, right? When you talk about an advocate, when you look at advocate in scripture, right, oftentimes that's like an attorney, someone who's pleading your case, advocating your case. And when I think about this relationship that I have with Jesus, what case is this advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, pleading before the Father? When he's advocating on my behalf, is he, is he going to the Father? Is he like, here's, here's, here's the Father up at the bench, right? He's the judge, and Jesus is there. He's the, he's the counselor, right? He's the lawyer. He's the advocate. And he's going, he's like, Your Honor, my client, Kevin. A little bit of a chucklehead, I know. Okay? And he's pleading my case before the Father. Is he going, this Kevin, he, he's not a bad dude. He's a pretty good dude most of the time. Sure, he's a little rough around the edges, but look at his deeds. Look at his, he's a pretty good dude. Look at him. How many of you know none of us could stand there? Right? Even if it's true, it's not good enough. It's not enough. When the advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, pleads your case before the Father, how does he plead it? With himself. He advocates for us with himself, with his righteousness, with his work on the cross. He goes, Father, this one here is my beloved. This one here has put his faith in me and my work. He's put his faith in my righteousness and my blood that covers and atones for all of those sins, and I have made him righteous. Stands before the Father, says, Exhibit A, these nail-scarred hands. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. We're the righteousness of God. You and I are the righteousness of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. He is merciful in your love. That's the second reality. The third reality, Christ is is sufficient, and you are free. Christ and his work is sufficient, and you are free from sin. The one work of Christ on the cross answers all the things you feel and experience because of the broken and sinful tendencies you have. Right? We feel and experience so many pains from sin. We feel it in our relationships, one to another. Some of us, we've got some really broken relationships that we just can't shake, right? We're feeling all of that. And I'm telling you, like I started this sermon with, Jesus and his gospel are the answer to everything. The one work of Christ on the cross answers all of it. Your tendency to work and perform to be justified, to be deemed right, and to be deemed not guilty, as if it were in your own strength to accomplish, God answers with the gospel of Jesus. You are justified by the work of Christ and by placing your faith in him alone. Our tendency and our longing to be approved, to be put back in a good relationship, God meets with reconciliation. 
He meets with the work of Christ, the gospel. It's not just the legal declaration of justification, but it's the personal, affectionate, and relational reconciliation that happens because of faith in the work of Jesus. And also our, our tendency to exonerate ourselves or to shift the blame for our shortcomings, failures, and sins, God meets in the work of Christ as the propitiation for our sins. In both our texts, Romans 3, 21 through 26 that we read earlier, and the text I read just a few minutes ago in 1 John chapter 2, it uses the word propitiation. That's probably not a word that you use every day. If so, you're weird. Okay? Or maybe you're in Bible school. You might be in Bible school. It's like a $4 Bible school word. Propitiation, it simply means this, the removal of the wrath of God against sinners by the death of Jesus. As I started today, God is just. His actions towards sin, sinning, and sinners is not an overreaction. It's just. It's just. He is just in everything he does. But because of the sufficient work of Christ, we don't have to run and hide in fear like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We don't have to run and hide in fear because 1 John chapter 5 reminds us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because of the full and sufficient work of Christ, again, like Adam and Eve did, we don't have to shift the blame for our sin or even carry the blame ourselves. Christ condemned sin in the flesh, and he, the sinless, the righteous, became sin so that we could be counted righteous in him. Like it says in John chapter 8, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. If you are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Get that tattoo. Somebody go get that tattoo we talked about last week. In, no, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't get a tattoo. If you want to, that's fine. It doesn't matter. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those in Christ the answer to your sin, the answer to your fear, the answer to your blame shifting, and every other problem in life, the answer is and always will be Jesus and his glorious work on the cross. And if you are in Christ Jesus, Christ has removed the wrath of God, the wrath of the Father, and you are now free in him. That's who you are when your identity is in Christ. Is your identity in Christ Jesus? Have you been found in him? Have you placed your faith in Christ Jesus this morning? A lot of times you go to a church and they'll have people raise their hands. They'll have people close their eyes, raise their hands, and make this prayer of faith to put your faith in Christ Jesus. And this morning, you can do that at your seat. Confess your need of Christ. Declare that you're putting your faith in him and trust the Holy Spirit's work in you. Confess your sins. Confess your need. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in him. And guess what? 
you're justified. You're just you're declared not guilty before a holy God. Today, place your faith in Christ Jesus, and guess what? You're reconciled. The relationship that was severed because of sin is now reunited because of the blood of Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the justified, the just wrath of God is removed from you because of the work of Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Keep responding to the Holy Spirit. If you'd like prayer, you can come see me. Come see Chris. If you'd like prayer, make sure that you are prayed for today. If there's someone in your row that you know that can pray for you, pray in your row. That's fine. You don't need to come to me. People in this room, they can pray for you too. That's awesome. But do business with the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay, so I, I just got to say this. The American church, this, this moment right here, we squander this moment all the time. There's an uncomfortableness that happens in our souls. And we're thinking, oh, man, I got to get home and eat some ham and eggs, ham and rolls or whatever it is, or ham and eggs, what? We got to eat, you know, whatever it is, whatever your Sunday afternoon thing is, we start thinking about other things. And really the Holy Spirit's like, no, like sit in this. Sit in this text. Open your Bible. Like sit in this moment and allow the Holy Spirit to wash that word over you a little bit. Don't get all squirmy inside and just be like, oh, I got I to gotta get out of here. Do some business with the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, for who we are in you. That the wrath of God, the wrath of the Father on sin, sinning, and sinners. That is just, that is right, that is appropriate because sin is evil and vile and it separates and causes death. That that wrath has been removed because of the work of Jesus. I pray that my friends in this room, God, that we would put our faith in you. That we would experience justification, that we would experience reconciliation, and that we would understand our identity in you and the freedom that is found in Christ. For those in this room today, God, that are struggling with condemnation, that they are struggling, that the enemy is just filling their head with lies, as, as the word describes, the enemy of our souls as the accuser of the brother, and just constantly accusing them, bringing up the past, bringing up their sin. God, I pray that we would stand firm in you and truth in your word today, knowing that's all been covered by Christ. Let us put our faith in you, our trust in you, and God, let us live boldly and beautifully for you. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's respond to the Holy Spirit.